Hello everybody, one point from two league games this week. We'll jump straight into the home game against Morecambe. A few people were crediting the way Morgan played, so we'll start there. Danny Phillips thought they set up to counter as well. We didn't learn to pin their fullbacks down. Alexandra, 6077, thought they were better than Crew all over the pitch, with Crew too slow going forward and awful defensively. Steve Bennett says all credit to Morgan, who came to do a job and did it well, but Crew were just not good enough. Alex Smith thinks one area Crew were not very good was the inability to stop crosses. To concede once is one thing, but to concede the same goal a few minutes later is poor. Daz agrees with that, but says it is not something he is surprised by. He does wonder about the Porter sub and going into whack it mode. The subs were a thing of concern to others. Josh Haywood is worried that if we are 2-1 down, the best option is to bring Porter on, as does Craig Fisher, who thinks Morecambe were creaking at 60 minutes, but having Porter on the pitch let them back into it. The pod came in for some criticism from Andy Priest for it being too euphoric last week. He warned, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Mark, who was on last week's pod, thinks this is the season we are in for. Ups and downs and difficult to predict. Saturday's draw split the fan base with some focusing on the performance before the penalty and some focusing on the full time result. Jonathan Armstrong thought it was a very poor performance and it will be a long season. Andy focused on the stats and was worried that even with 232 passes, Crew only managed three shots at goal. Stuart Grimley wasn't impressed with the amount of time Crew gave the ball away, but was happy with the last 10 minutes. Callum Sesford believes that Dave Artel got lucky after a poor decision to take off both wingers. Max thought Crew were abysmal, genuinely awful, but after losing so many points last year, it was excellent to be on the other side. Dean was split. He thought the back six were brilliant, but going forward, crew looked crap. Jack Jones was not so split and is of the opinion that the penalty shouldn't paper over the cracks. Graham Miles focused on the players. Robertson and Lundstrom both looked excellent. Cashcut struggled and Chris Porter did what Chris Porter does. We had lots of messages about the full-time score. Jonathan Ditt and Ben Benson were in agreement. Defense worked hard, looked like a home win, then smash and grab goal. Smash and grab is a phrase Adam Turner used as well and thought given the loss of Bennett and Thomas before kickoff, it was a great point. Alex Hume thinks it's impossible to play pretty every game after losing key players. The aim is 50 points and that's one more. Tim Robinson felt like it was a win at full time and would like us to use 5-3-2 more often going forward. We'll finish with We Are Crew who said there's nothing better than checking your phone in Asda thinking it has finished 1-0 only to discover Crew had scored. Shouting a big yes to confuse the poor checkout girl. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. We are back to two games this week. I do have to say I did not enjoy the 10.45 kickoff for a home loss to Morecambe, but there we go. Um, We have some new voices on the pod today. Firstly, welcome back for his season debut, Aaron Lewis. Hi, Aaron. Hi, guys. Next, we have Gary Pearson. Uh, Hi, Gary. Hi. Gary, can you give us a, a brief background on your Crualic supporting career, please? Ooh, uh, yeah. Well, my first game was 1967 against uh, Bradford City. 
And I remember turning up, I was at the grammar school in my first year uh, grammar school, and I saw Bradford City's kit. And I thought, oh, I've got the right scarf with me, only to realise it wasn't true. Um, so um, I was then a season ticket holder about two or three years after that. Been away. Um, I, was at, I was overseas 20 odd years um, as a TEFL teacher. Um, now I'm back. I'm a season ticket holder again for 20 years. So that's Excellent. me. Who's been your best player in that time? It's quite a lot to choose from, 1967 to today. Oh, that's really difficult. Uh, for many years, it was Stan Bowles. I arrived when um, Mahoney was here and also uh, Gordon Wallace, but Stan Bowles was my hero for many, many years. Um, more recently, we've had a lot more to choose from, so it, it's difficult. Dean Ashton, obviously. Seth Johnson was a big favourite of mine. Um, that's still not recent, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> um, at the moment, I'm a big fan of Luke Offord and, um, well, I'd like to see Cash Cap do a bit more and then maybe he can become a favourite. Uh, the older players you mentioned there, I'll have to take your word from it, but producer Dave was nodding along sagely, so... Uh... I'll take that as a good thing. Um, next, then, we have Max Bailey. Hi, Max. Hi, Stuart. Hi, everyone. Now, people may be aware, they might not be aware, that you are one half of Emma's Ground Guides, which is a fairly popular account on Twitter, isn't it? Do you want to tell people a little bit about what that is? Yeah, it's nice of you to say. Um, yeah, so basically during lockdown, so obviously a crew fan, but I live in Nottinghamshire, so it's quite a long way to get to every single match. Um so whenever crew were playing a long way away, we started looking at, right, what local games can we get to? And then started from there, going to all non-league games and just any time there's a game on that crew aren't playing or crew are playing three hours away, we'll pick a local game and rate our day out. We'll, we'll talk about it, um, rate the ground and just, yeah. Um, so both as me and my girlfriend, Emma, um, we'll, yeah, rate our experience. And yeah, it, it's started during lockdown and it's, it's extremely popular and I don't really know why, but people seem to enjoy it. And yeah, um, obviously rating crew games as well at the minute, which is good. Um, and yeah, by the time this comes out, the um, Rotherham blog will be out for everyone to read. Yep, excellent stuff. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, then do so. I do recommend it. Um, let's go to the, the crew games then. We'll start, we have to start, I'm afraid, with the Tuesday night home game to Morecambe. Um, started off, I was fairly optimistic about the side. There was one change from the win over Burton, Lundgren coming in for Murphy. Aaron, were you happy with that side before the game kicked off? Um, the, the caveat being before the game kicked off, yeah, very much so. I thought uh, it got, especially coming off the result from last weekend, I thought it was a positive-looking uh, team and was, yeah, very optimistic about our chances given everything we knew about Morecambe going into the game. And then I'm going to say, you know, I, I don't really believe in curses or jinxes or anything, but I think I sent a text out about 30 seconds before the goal saying, this is a really good start from the crew. <laughs> they're buzzing around, they're passing well, they're, they're getting chances, they're making chances. Um, Gary, what did you make of that first Morgan goal Tuesday night? Uh, um, sort of saw it coming because there was a lot of space on that side and in the middle. And um, Lee 
and um, I'm not sure of the pronunciation now, seem to be moving around a lot in that big space um, and there was nobody picking them up. So there was always one of them going to be free. And as it was, Lee hit um, quite an accurate cross, which is an, an issue I want to raise about the Alex because we don't seem to hit crosses very accurately. And the thing about Morecambe was that they were very accurate with their crosses. And they scored with two of them. They could have scored with another. So, yeah, there was a lot of space. I was wondering whether, I mean, I was at a, a feeling before this game um, that we were all very happy after Burton and thinking that this, that this, we should win this. But it, you know what it is with the Alex, it gives you that feeling that something's going to go wrong. And it, it did. And I wondered if some of the players were caught up in, in that because some of them did seem a yard off the pace. But yes, there's too much space for them playing from deep, picking up the ball wide and attacking. I uh, I definitely agree with you there, Gary. It's one of the things I picked up on, uh, particularly on Tuesday night, was um, Ramsey down our, our right-hand side looked much more like he wanted to be playing as a winger than Scott Kashka ever did in that entire game. So he was getting up and down the wing, well, getting up the wing more than down the wing so much, and that, that, was, that then led to, like I say, that space that you saw opening up and let them swing an, an easy cross in there. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you've said there. I pick up on another point you made there, Gary, um, in terms of the fact that I was told twice this last week that we went over the top with our praise and our optimism after the, the Burton win on the pod last week. Uh, one was by Andy Priest, who obviously has been on this pod a couple of times. And one was from a friend of mine who messaged me and said, you've gone over the top there. Um, and I think that Morecambe game was, I mean, we mentioned it in the pod last week that Morecambe at home sounds like a game you should be winning. And then the reality is the players just didn't turn up at all. The second goal, um, it was almost a carbon copy of the first goal, wasn't it, Max? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I agree with what Gary said before, that they all just seemed to be in so much space in the box. And yes, the crosses were accurate, but there needs to be better defending than that, really, especially um, with it being early on in the game, we're already 1-0 down and we didn't learn from our mistakes from the first goal. Uh, and yeah, just let it happen again. It's, it was far too easy. There were some performances, particularly in that first half, um, that I just didn't think were anywhere near the levels they were at on Saturday uh, against Burton. Um, Scott Robertson was one, simply because he was excellent against Burton. Then first half, he just didn't shop. Second half, I would, I would say he did improve. Same for Ramsey, who you've already mentioned, Aaron. And same for Kashkat as well. He just couldn't seem to get anything out of Greg Lee, could he? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so Kashkat is one that, like, seeing him uh, in, in the flesh as such on Tuesday, I was a bit sort of mystified as to what his role was because he didn't want to track his players. He wasn't particularly sticking to the wing like you'd expect a winger to. So it was kind of almost a free-roaming forward that wasn't quite as forward as Mandron and... Yeah, I was very confused with it. Robertson, I thought, was probably the best of a bad bunch, to be fair. So I don't want to go in too harshly on him. Um, I did think he, he made he perhaps wasn't living up to the lofty standards he'd set up in the first couple of games he played for us, but uh, still probably the best player we had on the night, I think. Can, can I just say something about, 
I think um, the problem for Robertson on Tuesday night was the fact that Murphy wasn't there. Against Burton, Murphy took a lot more responsibility from picking up from just behind him, and Robertson took the ball from there. On Tuesday night, Robertson had virtually all the responsibility in that midfield. He had a lot more to do, and so therefore... I think we saw a few more mistakes from him, but he definitely picked up in the second half. Yeah, so I, I put a tweet out at half-time and said, look, you know, the only redeeming factor I can think of here after that half was Swindon at home last year, 2-0 down, came back to win it 4-2, expecting a bit of a reaction from Crew. It did come, and I did think they were better second half. Uh, and then there was the goal in, uh, what was it, 10 minutes into the second half. Aaron, what was your thoughts on that? Um, I thought it was a pretty well-worked goal. Like you say, I, I definitely agree, I think, with, with both the points you've kind of made in that both the first half and the second half, we started the brighter. Um, I mean, you could argue we were probably the better team throughout the game, except for in the final th- in both final thirds, effectively. Um, but like you say, that, that goal did seem to sort of, uh, sort of G up everybody as well a little bit. You could feel it in the stands... Um, and you could feel it on the, the pitch a little bit. And then sort of five or ten minutes passed, and all of a sudden we hadn't kind of capitalised. We hadn't made any more decent chances, and it, it kind of slipped away from us. Because immediately after we scored, I felt, felt like this, this realistically, we could kick on and, and perhaps even get a 3-2 win. Whereas if you'd asked me again ten minutes later, I felt like it had gone completely. Yeah, there was a big miss, wasn't there, Callum Ainley, um, where it was 2-1. Mandrill did some fantastic thing, uh, work in the box, got the ball across to him. And uh, Calamani just sort of scuffed it, didn't he, Gary? He did, yes. Um, I think it was Robertson that made the final layoff, I think, wasn't it? But anyway, uh, it was really well set up for him. And he was central to the goal. He was six or seven yards out. And it was a, a side-footed scuff directly into the goalkeeper along the ground. It was a non-event of a shot. Um, I've got plenty to say about Ainley if I ever have the opportunity. <laughs> um, I mean, this is your stage, Gary. Go right. say it. Okay. I, I think he's proved on that Tuesday night and yesterday, which we'll go into later, that if this is his make or break season, I think it's going to break. Because he doesn't, he's, he doesn't do enough, basically. Yes, when given the chance, he can run forward with the ball. And yes, when he's played immediately in the middle behind the striker, he can be effective. But most of the time, he's not involved in the game. And half the time when he does have the ball, he runs straight into the opposition. He doesn't actually present enough for the Alex. So we need another solid midfielder who can bring the ball forward. Max, I'm going to bring you in there. We'll just sort of forget about the chronology of the week for now because I have written down after the Rotherham game yesterday, Ainley question mark. And I've got to say, I do, I do get where you're coming from, Gary, and I think I do tend to agree. This is probably his make or break season. He's been at the club for a long time now, um, and I don't see that when he leaves the club, he's going to get anywhere higher than what Crew Alex are offering him. Uh, Max, I don't know if, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, once again, I, I, I go with what Gary said. He's, he, he's well, I think in a, in a positive team, in a winning team, he's a, he's a good player to have. He'll, he'll do your, your tricks and his flicks and he'll 
when things are going well, that's all well and good. But in a struggling side, he just doesn't do enough. He doesn't seem to put his, his body on the line. He doesn't put the effort in. And that's what we need at this point in time. Maybe in league, like you say, I don't think he'll be able to go higher. Maybe in a League Two team that's sort of near the top, that's the sort of player that he can be. But in in our side at the minute, he just doesn't seem to offer enough. And when we're struggling, we, we need something different. And he, he doesn't seem to have that. I don't need him flying into tackles. I, I not, you know, that isn't the crew way, and that's definitely not the way that an attacking creative player should be playing, especially not in a crew team. I just think he goes hiding too often. Like yesterday, there's there was a couple of opportunities I looked at when um before he went off on the TV that I could see that Rio's looking for him and he's he's putting his hands up that he wants the ball, but he's not actually in a position where he can get the ball to him. And he's got to be cleverer than that. And I don't. I think he is clever enough. I just think he just doesn't want it enough, and that's that's not a good thing to say about football. And I'm sure he would argue the case if we ever had a conversation about it. But that's the impression I get. I just am not sold that he's that bothered. Um, and I do foresee, you know, if going back to um, old players as we started with Gary, you know, one of the players I remember, Ben Ricks, you know, and he's come up in a lot of the ex-player um, interviews that he was a cracking player. But maybe just he wasn't that bothered and he left crew and went off and played in Cyprus. So, I mean, I'm not suggesting that's where we'll find Callum Ainley next, but I think I see very similar career lines. I don't know if you agree with that, Aaron. Um, yeah, it's an interesting comparison. Um, oddly enough, I'd always say that Ben Ricks was one of them who maybe the fans enjoyed a little bit more than everyone's doing with Callum Ainley at the minute, but that's by the by, I think. Um, the, I guess the weird thing for Ainley as well at the minute is. Um, I mean, assuming everybody's fit, and I don't particularly know the ins and outs of everyone's fitness status at the minute, but we have got a lot of players who can play in and around that same position. You know, you've got it's sort of central midfielders, at least anyway, because you've got Finney and you've got uh, Griffiths, who I thought started the season quite well in, in limited minutes, to be fair. I understand he was at the uh, Blackburn... Cardiff game yesterday, so I don't know if he's just injured at the moment or something, I'm not sure. But um, but yeah, it feels like we've got a number of players who could be playing in this position and probably would be applying themselves a bit better than Ainley is at the minute. I don't want to I don't want to pile on him a little bit because you know it does feel like we could be a bit over go back to the goalkeeper conversations of last year, but we can be overly critical of some players. But um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to disagree with everything that you've just said. Yeah, I think um, frustrating is the word um, because he's he's got the. He seems to have all the potential, and on here, I know people have, have sort of said he's, he's the player that people think could go the furthest last season. Everyone's sort of hyping him up. I think you get quite a few players like that. You say Ben Ricks, but you think maybe players like Cole Clough and George Cooper. I think do they think they're better than they are, and they, they think they don't need to try, and they can just coast through games, and and it just doesn't work, especially at this level. You you need to put the effort in. You need to put the fight in, and if not, you'll just you'll end up coasting back down the leagues, I think. I think the, the one thing that's sort of a mitigating thing in, in his favour is last year he was one of Charlie Kirk, Owen Dale, Tommy Lowry. This year they've all gone or they're on strike or won't be played because there's no contract. And at the start of the season, especially before these new players had been signed, the loan signings had come in, he was the guy we were looking to for any creativity whatsoever. And... He, he, is, he isn't that good. He can't carry a League One team by himself. 
Uh, I think he's better than what we're getting out of him. Uh, I think he needs a run of games around players that are going to help him assist and score and he can help assist and score. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's possible that he started off the season with us all looking at him and saying, right, this is your time. Let's do something. And, you know, he just hasn't been given the people to work with, possibly. Um, I'm going to just go back to Morecambe. Uh, I'm going to ignore the third goal um, because it was inevitable. Crew were pushing on. It was caught out on the break. Um, the one thing I wrote down at the end of the Morecambe game was one thing that people were talking about online a lot. And it's sort of, uh, it's appropriate for what happens this week is, substitutions are they too samey are they too late and the other question i wrote down is is chris porter the answer um so we'll ignore that one but um what can I, I was gonna say i had a it's a note i made after the game um and i was quite proud of myself when i made it and it's absolute rubbish now after the game yesterday but uh i was thinking that at this point chris porter should be called iggy pop because he's basically just a passenger lovely stuff aaron welcome Thanks. back yeah <laughs> Glad to be back. Yeah. So, Gary, what do you think of, uh, you know, Dave Artel's substitutions? Is this something he can do better? I think so. I mean, <laughs> yesterday's substitution, again, um, sunk my idea a little bit. I did think that Porter is not the one to be coming on. And I said that yesterday as well, so that was wrong. Um, but if I want to talk about players who are not adding anything or not giving anything, yes, I understand the strength supporter, but for the 99% of the rest of the game that he's not potentially setting up a goal or scoring a goal, he's adding further pressure on the rest of the team. Anyway, the questions about substitutions. Um, yeah, I, I do struggle to understand how the substitutions work especially if it looks like we need a goal sometimes I wonder if the the attitude is is a very is too simple actually that we need a goal therefore we put on a, a striker or whatever but often the problem with us not scoring goals is we're not getting forward enough and we haven't got people supplying to the forwards and that's our biggest problem at the moment, I think, is we're, apart from Mandron and or Porter, we have nobody who's getting into the box. And I, I, I think that we need to be looking at people further back from the striker. And yes, we need a lot more. We need subs a bit earlier on who can have a chance to get an impact. I think there's been a bit of a problem with that. Yeah, Especially, like you say, when it's a game where you're trailing at home and you've got a decent chance of getting the lead, right? like on Tuesday night. Uh, Finney was the other one who came on. He just came on far too late. Almost everybody in the stand was asking for it about 20 minutes before it actually mm. happened. You could feel it. Um, and yeah, and then he just had no little to no time to impact the game. Yeah. Um, also, like you say, with the point on the actual players who are being substituted, it's it, like you say, Mandron has looked pretty dangerous and pretty, you know, pretty likely, the most likely player to score. And he's probably got the most goals for us so far this season, I think. Still not many, but there you go. Um, but so, but the move seems to be to take somebody else off and put Porter in that forward role and then move Mandarin out wide and kind of nullifies him a little bit as well. I, 
far be it from me to tell Dave how to do his job because he's a far cleverer person than I, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be working for me. Right. Let's move on from Morecambe then. We'll head to Saturday, uh, South Yorkshire, Rotherham. Max, with your grounds guide head on, uh, I think this was a new ground for quite a lot of crew fans. It's been a little while since we played Rotherham, uh, it felt like. Uh, what did you make of the stadium? Is it, an, is it a good one to go to? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a, top, a top ground, certainly for this level. Um, one of the good things as well is just up the road, you can see their old ground. It's, it's still there. Um, so before the game, we went to have a look at that and it's not been used for 13 years, I don't think, but it's still in good shape. Someone still cuts the grass. So that was good. But it was also good to contrast um, the old ground with the new and how much further they seem to have come on. Um, I mean, it's a proper, um, you'd probably say a mini version of a sort of Derby County, Middlesbrough sort of ground, but one that's only 12,000 seats. Um, and for a, gra- a team the size of Rotherham, it's pretty much perfect as yesterday, other than behind, near us, uh, behind the goal, it was pretty much full, uh, which again, at this level, you don't get very much. Um, and yeah, it was just a re- really nice ground. The concourse was was all painted nicely. You could tell it was an, a new ground and yeah, it's certainly something they'll, they'll be proud of, I'd have thought. So no spoilers, but they scored quite highly in your uh, stadium rating then for your... Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We've not done many football league, but they've gone top of our league already. Wow. Okay, I'm going to, again, break with the chronology, uh, normal order of how we do this. I'm going to ask you, Aaron, 90 minutes gone, it's just ticked over. Uh, are you confident that crew are going to get anything out of the game or are you just wanting to go home at that point? Uh, no, I'll be honest. Uh, I expect it. Uh, to be fair, at that point, I was sitting there going, well, I'll take a 1-0, actually, because I expected this to be much worse. And given how the game had gone, I think it should have been a lot worse, especially if... Will Grigg had decided to bring his shooting boots. Uh, God knows how many chances he blazed over or just headed straight at Will. But um, but yeah, I was thinking at that point, I was thinking, well, it's not great, but it, it could have been a lot worse because I think Rotherham are probably going to be one of the, the better sides in this division this year. Gary, did you think Rotherham were good? Were crew bad? Was it a combination of both? What what was your thoughts? Um, it was a combination of both. Um. Rotherham, well, it's interesting to look at the statistics because the possession statistics were not very different from it. It was almost 50-50. It was just one or two percentage points either way. But you wouldn't have thought that being at the game. You would have thought that it was Rotherham most of the time. Rotherham had a lot of a lot of good movement going forward, lots of good rapid movement passing going forward. But although the statistic also shows that they had 20-odd shots, I don't think they actually threatened uh, Will Yaskalainen that often, really. There were one or two last-ditch blocks, but generally speaking, I don't think they gave us a lot of problems. And in the end, the goal they did get was a, a couple of errors from our part that gave them the opening in the first place. They did miss a couple of chances. I, I, there was one from very close in that was shot straight at Yaskalainen. But, yeah, they, they did threaten, but not, they didn't put it under a lot of pressure in the box itself. Um, on the other hand, it seems that Dave Artella says he's, he set up a different pattern to the normal style of play. What I saw was um, 
a desperate rearguard action. <laughs> um, we could not get the ball into their half that much, or at least we couldn't keep it in their half. Um, we didn't threaten their goal. The first shot we had was what was it? Murphy from 25 yards that sort of bounced 50 times on the way there. Um, and it was only when Porter came on that we had two more shots on target. Um, even though I'd been cursing the fact that Porter was coming on and saying, oh, he's not going to help anything. But suddenly, yes, he did do that swivel and turn that nearly caught the keeper out, but smart change of direction of the keeper to save it. And of course, the penalty. Um, I don't know. We did go missing. We did. Our distribution wasn't very good. Sass Davis, I'm afraid, did give the ball away a lot in pretty crucial positions. I thought. Um, I thought. I thought uh, Murphy was a little slow, or predictable. Whatever he was caught in possession a few times. Robertson wasn't given the space. So we never actually got going. And so, yes, at 90 minutes, going to the question you gave Aaron, I was ready to go home as well. Um, Max, was there anyone that stood out for you, either on a positive or a negative? I know, again, reading online, that there was a lot of people who were unhappy with Scott Kashka's performance yesterday, for example. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's funny that Gary mentioned Sass Davis there. As he's probably the only person that I was picking out at half-time. <laughs> he, he was the... <laughs> to stand out as I, I didn't expect him to start um and he see well obviously they were on top and they were the ones but they couldn't get near the goal like you like you mentioned it was a lot of shots from 20 yards nothing really troubling the keeper and I thought obviously forget about their goal but other than that we seemed to keep them out quite well um but yeah going up the other end um I, I think we have more attacking threat at Leeds than we did yesterday um we, we just didn't Obviously, the goal changes that off, but other than that, I can't remember us even getting close. And yeah, Kashket, first time I'm seeing him, and obviously listening to the podcast and what people are saying and all these new signings and the positivity. And I was thinking going into this game, oh, I'm looking forward to this. The last game I've been to was Charlton. That was another depressing game, but we've signed all these players since then, thinking, right, what we're going to do? I, I assume in Janeo Bennett's injured because he. He didn't play. Uh, he was ill yesterday, him and Terrell yeah. Thomas. Because obviously I was most looking forward to seeing him play. And Kashket as well has got positives coming out from obviously Wickham and people when he first started. But yeah, he didn't just... Well, you can't really single him out because there were a lot of players that went missing. But you, it was almost you couldn't tell he was there, Kashket. He didn't do much at all. Yeah, I mean, the one thing he did do was he caused the Rotherham goal from... I mean, it wasn't just his fault. Donovan Daniels needs to not be hitting that first man when he's clearing the ball like that. But he wasn't given any favours, was he? Um, now, Aaron, a little bit of positivity because it's been quite a down pod so far. Uh, I've got a question. Well, I've got... It's not even a question. Um, if scored from a penalty is the answer, is Chris Porter the question... How um, confident were you that he just wasn't going to miss that 91st minute? You know what? I, I couldn't have been more confident if it was Cristiano Ronaldo stepping up to take that. A little nod to his celebration as well. But uh, yeah, I, it was funny because he, especially somehow in my mind, because he won us the penalty as well. Uh, I, to me, it just felt like 
as soon as I saw that, it's immediately he's definitely going to score it. Um, there was like zero chance in my mind I thought he was going to miss, especially in the last minute of the game as well. I agree. I thought it was a ridiculous challenge from their player. Um, from, from our view behind the goal, it's the ball seemed to be two yards above everyone's head, sailing straight out for a goal kick, and their player decides to tug Porter down from behind. It was a really strange cha- challenge and and ruined what was a, well a good result for them. They didn't play very well. You asked earlier um, whether it was them playing well or us playing badly. I think well we were playing badly, but yeah. Oh, like we said, their goal was a mistake that if that hadn't happened, they, they didn't really look like challenging us. And, and for them to ruin a, a three points with a, a stupid challenge like that was was bizarre. But like you say, you'll take it. We didn't we didn't look like scoring. That was the only time we got in their box that I can really remember. So can I can I just add to that that um Porter's movement um was excellent for that to engineer that penalty. And I think that's what caught the player, is he realised he'd suddenly lost him and wasn't watching the ball, he was watching the player. And so, in desperation, he grabbed him, uh, regardless of where the ball was, because he'd lost him. And so, I've got all credit to Porter for his movement there that really bamboozled their defence. So, it sounds to me like the three of you that are all there, all next to the penalty area where the penalty was, it was a penalty, in your opinion. There's no Absolutely. one who's on the side. I will say, uh, like a true professional, I suppose, Chris Porter didn't need a lot of convincing to go down. I'll say that. It, it did look a penalty on TV. Uh, I was convinced it was, but it was surprising how long it seemed the referee to decide that it was a penalty. He definitely had a little bit of weighing up time. Um, but to go back to what I said before, uh, you won't have heard this. But on commentary, Graham McGarry didn't mention the fact that he's never missed a penalty for crew until after he'd taken and scored the penalty. And, you know, Good. You know again, don't Not really like Graham, that jinxes, but uh, yeah, he did mention that. Um, one thing I wanted to mention as well about the substitutions earlier, because obviously he came on again um, for, I think he came on for Kashkat yesterday. Um, the problem I've got with it, and I don't have a problem with Chris Porter playing, I think he does some things he he can't do everything anymore you know he's he's 37 um you know i know what it's like being 37 and trying to play football um but what i think is going to be an issue is every time he comes on the pitch mika mandron gets put out wide and mika mandron had a problem with this yesterday that he visibly showed dave artel like he was upset I'm worried that if Mika Mandron had any intention of staying next year when his contract runs out, that he, every time he's pushed out to the wide, he is making his mind up more and more, or making it easier to leave the club <clears throat> in the summer. I don't know if that's something you guys would agree with, anything you've thought of, but it's just something that came to me yesterday. It's not something I've thought of, but it is a good point. Um, and it's something I probably would agree with because players don't like being played out of position, especially a player like him who wants to be in and amongst it, wants to be scoring goals, obviously. Um, and we can all kind of see that he's not that effective out there. Not that we have many players who seem to be effective in that position at the minute, which is obviously a problem. But uh, but yeah, I, I think I probably agree with you there, Stu. His biggest um, asset, really, is being able to bring the ball down and play others into the game. And you're not going to be able to do that on the wing. That's That's the one position that we need. We need an out ball and 
he seems to be really good at that Mandron. He, he can take it down on his chest. He can turn. And on the wing, he, yeah, I suppose it may be a bit like Kashkat. He just seems to get lost and he doesn't obviously doesn't enjoy playing out there either. Um, but then again, you're not going to put Porter on the wing, are you? But why have um, either of them on the wing? Why can't you have two big centre-forwards, one of whom is very good at not only, as you say, taking the ball in his chest, bringing it down and playing it forward, but also is good at winning the ball back when we've just lost it in attack. Um, why can't you play either alongside or just behind Porter? Um, and we do have full-backs that are sort of wing-backs. Why can't we use them a bit more often? It's, uh, it's definitely something I agree with, actually, Gary, because that was something after Tuesday night's game I thought we might go towards. Sort of, I, well, in my head, it was it was going to be Mika and Kashka as like a little and large combo up front. Like you say, with Mika winning the knockdowns, getting it onto Kashka, who's obviously got this pace to, to get past players and, and finish, obviously. But um, And then you get your width from the wing-backs then, which so we sort of had with the, the players at the back, but it wasn't fully committing to what I thought it was going to be on Saturday. I agree. Yeah. Okay, that is this week's games taken care of then. Next, we'll switch our attention to the two games coming up this week. But before that, following their 3-0 win over Morecambe last week, the women's team were back in action this weekend. Here's how they got on. Hi, Crew Alex uh, podcast. It's Matt Fisher here, head coach of the women's first team. Uh, we've just come off after beating West Dids and Shortland 4-1. Overall, we're, we're really pleased with the performance. Uh, West Dids are a strong side and they've caused a lot of issues historically, so... We're chuffed that we've come away with uh, such a big win. We've been snatching at our chances a bit recently, but looked uh, much more composed in the final third. Um, and at 2-1 at half-time, we had to make some subtle changes uh, as we felt we were being stretched cent- centrally, which allowed their number 10 to play between our units. Uh, but on, on making this change, we, the second half we dominated, uh, which we, we were chuffed with. Our keeper, Hannah, pulled off a top save when we were 2-1 up. And then within, within a minute, we go 3-1 up. And the game changes. So overall, a very good performance and a big well done to 17-year-old Megan Parker. Uh, she grabbed two goals today, so we're chuffed to pieces with her. And thanks for your continued support. So back-to-back Tuesday night league games last week, this week coming up. Uh, this next one is crew going down to Plymouth. It's a long old way down for a Tuesday night game. Um, Plymouth have started off really well as well. The only game they've lost in the league was on the opening day when they lost to Rotherham. Uh, Aaron, it could be another tricky one, couldn't it? Yeah, uh, interesting result this weekend for them. Uh, I saw at one point Doncaster were 1-0 up on them and then they had two penalties later on to keep us off the bottom of the table. So I guess thanks for that one, Plymouth, for a couple of days anyway. Um, But I think... Plymouth on a Tuesday night is just a really hard game. I don't expect we'll have a lot of players, uh, fans, sorry, go into that. Um, so, yeah, it's not going to be as well supported as we have been for a lot of our games this year, I doubt. So I think it's going to be a really tough game. They seem to be playing really well. Uh, Lowe's got them going and they don't seem to have that many of our ex-players anymore for a change. Max, then, last season, um, 
Plymouth were the only team that stayed up that were promoted alongside Crew. Um, this season, it's it looks like they've been able to kick on, whereas Crew, I mean, there's definitely a regression in this Crew squad. Any idea why that is? I mean, I can't imagine you see much of Plymouth, but you know, Ryan Lowe's still there. He must be doing a fairly good job. Well, I mean, there's a few reasons why we haven't kicked on, which we has been mentioned on on mass by everyone. Um, so that's obviously why. Um, I assume they've managed to keep their squad together and build on it, which is something that we've definitely not managed to do. Um, yeah, Plymouth away is up. We've always struggled, no matter how well they're doing. It's a long trip, especially on a Tuesday. Um, and yeah, they're, they're on form. And we've been talking about Porter a lot. And we'll not bring him up with Plymouth away in mind after um, last time we were all in the ground watching that. Um, but yeah, I just I can't see us getting anything there at all. E- even if they were near the bottom of the league, it's always seemed to be one of our bogey sides. We don't seem to do well there at all. Gary, are you approaching Tuesday night with the same sort of feeling that it's going to be tough to get anything out of the game? Absolutely. Um, especially as um, the difference for Plymouth this season. I think he's brought people in and strengthened the defence. It was the defence last season that was letting them down. Um, but this season he's shored it up somewhat. And that's what worries me. <laughs> if they a team that can score goals, and they scored three on two occasions, um, and they're not letting goals in, I really worry about this game. Um, for all the reasons we've just said a few minutes ago, um, we're not creating the chances. And if they've got a pretty solid defence, they're not going to be worried by us, are they? So as ever, when we play Plymouth, I caught up with producer Matt from the Radio Stoke Breakfast Show to see what his thoughts are on Argyle's start to the season. Hi, Matt. Welcome back to the pod. Hi, Stu. Now, to anyone that is new to this podcast, you are found on your in your day job on Radio Stoke. You're also yeah. a big Plymouth fan. Yeah, so I work on the breakfast show with John Akers uh, in the morning, producing that show. Uh, ironically, John Akers is also a big Plymouth Argyle fan, so kind of two Plymouthians far away, sort of, <laughs> sort of exiled out towards Staffordshire. But I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's a funny thing to find us both here, but Plymouth fans do get everywhere. Kind of, uh, kind of move out of Plymouth and sort of migrate around the world. Uh, I imagine the two of you are quite happy with the start that Plymouth have made so far this season. Yeah, absolutely delighted. Honestly, beyond our wildest dreams, to be honest. I think um, the way that they're playing, I mean, the way they ended last season um, was shockingly bad. They weren't very good at the end of last season. He probably changed the whole defence around. Um, I didn't think it was going to be as good as it has been. I mean... They started really badly, bad result at Rotherham on the opening day, but then since then it seems to have found their feet, playing really well away from home more than at home. Away from home they seem to counter-attack, play a better style of football away from home, whereas home they can get a bit bogged down with teams that come and sit and want Argyle to come and attack them. So, um, But no, generally really pleased. They're scoring goals, they look good when they're moving forward. Um, they're fairly, fairly stable at the back. And the thing about it is they're doing it without Danny Mayer, who of course has been injured for you know, for the best part of six weeks. George Cooper's not in the team either. He can't get back in because he's he, he's injured. And Niall Ennis, who arguably was going to be our best striker this year, he, he's not fit either. So we've got three players to kind of come back and we're playing well without them, which is a bonus. So, you know, obviously Ryan Lowe is still in charge there. Is it something he's done? Is it um, a revolution? Is it an evolution? What's happened? Because like you say, it was a bad end to the season in the, in the playoff position after nine games. Yeah. 
it's it's basically defensively, totally it's defensively. Um, if you look at our back back three compared to last year, um, I mean we were playing a Poku, Watt and Watt, who were both lads from Premier League clubs who were both in on loan, and our kind of staple defender was either Scott Wooten or Niall Canavan. If you look at where they've ended up, Scott Wooten's now, I think he's still on the bench for Morecambe, maybe I think he's been playing for Morecambe or one of the lower down clubs. Yeah, he played um, the other day against Crewe. Yeah, so he's he's there, which kind of makes you think, well, that's he's kind of found his level a little bit there. And now Canavan's playing for Bradford. So you think, well, they were the two kind of main defenders that we had at the back last year. And we got caught out so many times. I mean, even when we went to Crewe, I think that we were on such a bad run that he ended up playing four centre-backs. which was He was just trying to find anything he could to keep goals out of the net. We were the worst team for conceding. I think the third worst team in the whole country for conceding goals. Unfortunately, we didn't get relegated. We had enough points in the bank to, to not go down. So he knew that he had to change that. He knew that he had to find a recipe for stopping goals going in. And we knew Michael Cooper was a good goalkeeper. We knew that, again, he'd have a season under his belt. It was his first year last year. He wasn't as confident with those players playing in front of him. So he's basically taken another step step up. In fact, apparently there's Premier League interest already, but I think that's more paper talk than actual actual interest. I've, I've, we've not really heard much about that, but he brought in James Wilson from Ipswich, who was Ipswich Player of the Year, who was let go in the massive cull that they had of players in the summer, brought him in, brought a guy called Dan Scar in from Warsaw, who really not a massive name, but kind of all the analytics that they talk about pointed to the fact that he was good at winning headers in the box at both ends. And that's kind of what we needed. Uh, and then he's brought in a, a couple of other players. Gillespie he brought from the Australian League. Um, yeah, there's just there's players that he's brought in have just settled that back three um, and allowed us to play. And I think probably the best acquisitions of that is Jordan Houghton, who he brought back from MK Dons, played for Algar about five seasons ago, brought him back from MK Dons. And he's just sat in front of that back three and just kept us ticking over, protected the back three, but also allowed us to move that ball through midfield. So he's done a lot of work at the back and then not changed anything up front. Still got Hardy, still got Jeff Scott, still got Ennis, still got the potential Danny Mayer coming back. So he's just basically taken that attacking flair, knowing that we can go and score goals, and then just said, right, let's shut up shop at the back and make sure we're solid. One of the names you've just mentioned there, Ryan Hardy, he's flying at the minute, isn't he? I had a little check this morning. He's got eight goals already this season. Yeah. Eight goals already, and he's playing with a lot of confidence. His finishing is... We always knew he had a, he had a finish in him, but um, he's just, it's just that extra step. He's taken the two goals he scored at Portsmouth on last Tuesday with the two that you look at and go, well, that's a, a forward absolutely on his metal. Yeah, so basically he's, he's absolutely bang on form. His two finishes at Pompey on Tuesday were really good. I mean, it's really kind of ironic in a way that he wasn't going to be uh, first choice. Wasn't going to be first choice at all this year. It would have been Jeff Gott and Ennis. Um, and that was who was due to start the season. But what's what's shown through the, the last couple of weeks is that Hardy and Jeff got are really good mates in terms of kind of off the field as well as, well as they are on the field. Um, and both of them are happy to set each other up. They've, they've got this kind of understanding on the pitch that, that, that translates from off the pitch. And that's allowed Hardy to go in and play, go, go in and play in behind. Jeff got likes to come short. They complement each other perfectly. So we're, we're lucky that, that Hardy's found his finishing boots this year because he wasn't as sharp last year. But ironically, who we thought was going to be our lead striker is Ennis, not in the, not in the team because he's injured, but he'll find it hard to get back in when he does get fit again, I think. So, Matt, how confident are you that this run can continue? Like we just mentioned, that you're in the playoff positions at the minute. Is that a realistic aim? Is the first aim staying up and then seeing where you are when you've got enough points? What, what's the feeling? The feeling as usual is what usually happens when Argyle fans get together. The crowds go up, you know, we're getting 11,000 11, on average at the minute. So 
it's really good. But the expectation then takes on a new level. And you saw it, <coughs> excuse me, you saw it yesterday in the game um, at home to Donny, is that they didn't perform as well as they could do, almost like they got overawed by the occasion. Um, and I said to, to a friend of mine at the start of the season, we went away to Peterborough, we beat them 4-0, we beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-0 at home, uh, and then we were miserable away at, at Rotherham, didn't play very well. And we're somewhere in between the two. We're not as brilliant as we are against Sheffield Wednesday every week, but we're not as bad as we were at Rotherham every week. We're kind of in the middle, and it's finding a way to win those games like we did yesterday when you're not playing as well. That's the only thing I would say. that They didn't play very well last week, yesterday, sorry, and then they still won the game. And you think that's kind of a mark of a decent team that can win a game when they're playing badly. But it's how it's how they bounce back from losing the next game because they haven't lost it in the day of the season. It's kind of when that setback comes, it's do we knee-jerk? Do we change the team? What do we do? And the other problem they might have, which sounds really, really bizarre, is that when Danny Mayer comes back, do you put him straight back in? Because I think it would disrupt the midfielders. They've got Kamara and, uh, and Broom at the minute are playing brilliantly in that centre of midfield. If you put Mayer back in, does it disrupt the way you play? Does it change the way you play? So there's choices that need to be made. Um, but I think it is. It's the next. It's the next bad result. When that comes along, it's how you bounce back and how you react to the next bad result. You've just mentioned Danny Mayer being injured. Um, there's another player injured at Plymouth <laughs> at the moment uh, who yeah. Crew fans know all about, George Cooper. Uh, I couldn't help but notice he got himself into a bit of bother online this week because he's been pictured <laughs> out and about in one of Plymouth's premium nightclubs. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's the feeling amongst the Argyle fans with that? I mean, we, the thing is, we love George because he's, he's got a magic wand with the left foot. He's absolutely brilliant. Great player. And again, he would be, along with Mary, be one of the first names on the team sheet if he was fully fit. But he's been out since last Christmas, cruciate, did his knee. And he came back briefly for a game against Swansea in the Carabao. He, he, he came onto the pitch, or he was at least on the bench for that. Um, I think he, came, he made about a 10-minute appearance and then he was off again, seen with a boot on again after that game. It's apparently, he'd done something to his foot and hasn't been able to, to kick a ball in, in anger after that. So he's been he's been sidelined for a long, long time, but we know he likes a night out. <laughs> you know, he did he did at crew, you know, he likes a night out. And I suppose you can't stop him um, going for a night out, but it's uh, the, the fans haven't reacted too badly to it, to be honest. I think if they were playing badly and the and the fans saw one of their players who's striving to get back in the team out and about on the tower and they were like bottom of the league, I don't think it, it'd go down too well. But it's not been received that badly by the fans. I think they just want to see him back. Same as Mayor, we just want to see him back. Because the thing that you'll notice if you see the team sheets is the bench is staggeringly thin. Like it's there's it's kids, it's player players like Reese Shirley and and Ryan Law, who on their day, not bad, bad young players, but just not ready for the first team yet. And we're, we're desperate to get those players with first team experience back. But yeah, it'd be nice to see George back, but <laughs> as long as he doesn't get into too much strife down Union Street, we'll be happy. Plenty of pictures from my uni days on Union Street in Plymouth from uh, when I went to uni down there. Um, Matt, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to let you go. Um, yep. Tuesday night, home game to crew. You've got to be pretty confident of a result, yeah? Based on league positions, you'd say, yeah. Um, based on kind of history between the two teams, you'd say it's going to be a tough game. We know, you know crew showed a great resilience again on Saturday to go to Rotherham and get a point. I mean, that's a really good point when we know that crew have been struggling. And I think maybe now David Artel is starting to settle the team. I've not seen much, much of crew this season, but it seems like it's been a lot of chopping and changing week to week, not knowing his best side, bringing players in during the window. It's been really tough for him as, as a boss, I think, to, to get that settled side and find that core of players that you can rely on. Maybe Saturday's a turning point. 
What I will say is that at home, we've not been amazing. We've, we've played pretty well against Sheffield Wednesday, but Fleetwood, Cambridge, and even Doncaster yesterday have all come, matched us up and given us a game. So there's no reason that crew can't come and do that on Tuesday night. But you'd have to say, based on league position and current form, you think Argyle win the game, but you never count the chickens. OK, Matt, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much. Thanks, Drew. Okay, right back to Gresty Road on Saturday then, a visit from Cambridge. Now, Max, on last week's pod, I said that there was a tricky away trip to a team near the top and a visit from a promoted team to Gresty Road. Feels a little bit like deja vu this week, doesn't it? Yeah, very similar. Um, although, as this week has proved, um, it's not as easy as what you'd find out. And yeah, a promoted side aren't going to be a pushover and we're going to have to improve, certainly, to to get anything out of that one as well. Um, Cambridge are up in mid-table, so they've had a decent start. They're not struggling at the new level. Um, and yeah, we, we need to start creating and start kicking on now, otherwise it's going to get worrying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got them that they're in 12th. Uh, I think we're far enough into the season now where you have to respect uh, league positions. It's not a fluke to get into 12th after nine games or so. Uh, they won at Fratton Park a few weeks ago. Aaron, this is not going to be an easy three points, is it? Uh, no, it's uh, whereas you know where we sort of approach that Morecambe game. I think thinking, well, we we can probably get the better of these. Um, Cambridge, I think, is a different proposition for us, and that's before you get into the fact that we actually lost the game against Morecambe. Um, I think they're actually, you know, they are a pretty good side. They've obviously still got uh, Wes Houlihan turning out for them. Um, and he still looks to be dangerous. Probably could have done with playing him on a Tuesday night because I don't think he plays in midweek for him, actually. Uh, but there you go. Um, so, yeah, I, it's going to be a tough one, but I am more optimistic than I am for the game against Plymouth. Yeah, and Gary, I'll just come to you. Um, we said last week, you know, we have to be optimistic about beating Morecambe at home because if we can't be optimistic about beating Morecambe at home, then who can we be optimistic at? That didn't work out, but I'm going to say the same thing. If we aren't thinking that we can beat Cambridge at home, then we are in for a long old season, aren't we? Yeah, um, I agree. That What I have noticed by looking at the reports and statistics on their games, they very frequently have much less possession than the opposition. And as we're a possession team, I do worry about that, um, especially a team that's not scoring. Um, they've also got six goal scorers, um, as opposed to our three. Is it three or four, if you count Ainley in the League Cup? Yeah. Um, so, yes, I'm worried about I'm worried about this game as well. I'm probably a bit more worried about this game than I am the Plymouth game. Because like last week, I I half suspect that we'll do better against Plymouth than we'll do against Cambridge. Again, because they've got a, a recognised goal scorer. They obviously rely on um, breakaways a lot because they have a lot of shots in that in each game, despite the fact they have much lower possession rates and they have a lot of corners. So we don't like corners very much, do we? So um, I'm worried about this. And going back to your original point, um, I'm still not convinced we're in our true position. And that's not just uh, fan optimism. I think 
when we eventually get some kind of settled signage, because we still haven't got settled signage, um, then we'll start to be producing results and the result will then boost confidence and it will be a, a cycle that gets bigger and bigger. Um, I'll still be extremely happy if we're about 16th, 15th at the end of the season. I'll snap your hand off for 15th at the end of the season right now, Barry, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> The way things the way things are going, I'd definitely take twentieth at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could have that optimism, Gary. Um, Ooh, that, I've never been called an optimist before. <laughs> <laughs> that that shows just how bad it is, doesn't it? The fact that we're worried about Cambridge at home and um, thinking, oh, it will get better. But like Stu said, we are nine games into the season now. Something has to happen at some point. We're just going to get cut adrift. If I mean, looking at the result, we just scored. We're all really happy after getting a last-minute equaliser, and then you get the league table up on your phone and we're still 23rd. Like... It's, it's a good point you just made there, Max, and it's a question I forgot to ask the three of you, because obviously you were all at Rotherham yesterday. So when you're at the game, there's quite a bit of euphoria that goes with scoring a last-minute equaliser. Personally, I was quite flat at the end of that game, and I was happy we'd got the point, happy we'd scored the penalty, but the performance was more in my mind than the goal and the point um how did you leave the ground yesterday the three of you were you happy with the point or were you concerned about the performance I'd say ecstatic with the point because but because of the reason of the performance being so bad so obviously at the time like you say it was the euphoria of scoring and then after you think wow how, how did we do that we definitely didn't deserve it and like you say how pessimistic we're all being now pretty much shows that once you've thought about it you realise, well, yes, we really need to improve because that 99 times out of 100, we lose that game 3 0. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to disagree with anything you just said. I'd echo everything. We're ecstatic coming out, as was everybody else. I did actually say to my brother who was at the game, um, it's like we've just won the cup, the, the atmosphere. But then as time settles in, yes, you start to feel, well, it was an awful display. When are we going to put in a, a decent display other than just Burton? OK, so back to the Cambridge game then. I spoke to the Under the Abbey Stand podcast to hear what they thought about the game coming up. Hello, Jordan. Hey, Stuart. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good. Welcome to the pod. Um, now, you're a new voice this season. Um, obviously, there's obvious reasons for that with Cambridge being promoted last year. Um, can you just a little bit of explanation on the Under the Abbey Stand podcast? Yeah, it's been uh, 20 years since we've been in League One, so quite a quiet voice, I guess. Uh, yeah, Under the Abbey Stand, or UTAS for short, uh, we've been going, I don't know, what, four or five seasons now? We did our we started as a as a fanzine and we still are go as, as a fanzine, although we didn't do any last season because couldn't go to the ground. Um, but yeah, um, I think our, our favourite story was we decided to do a podcast and we planned it all. And we had a studio booked and the night before um, our manager at the time, Mr. Sean Derry, got sacked. So all our plans for our very first podcast went up in the air. But uh, yeah, they've been going um, for the last couple of years now, trying to do it weekly and uh, yeah, it's great to, to chat to other fan uh, media as well. So thanks for having me. Not at all. Um, so I said the same thing last week when we played Morecambe. Uh, we didn't have you on last year because you weren't in League One. You are, now are. Um, can you sum up what last season was like? 
yeah, it was like a dream, really, and uh, incredibly frustrating to not be there at the ground. Although, having said that, we we were one of the few clubs that did trials around December time, November, December time, for having fans back in the in the ground. And actually, that coincided with our worst form of the season. So maybe it was a good thing that fans weren't allowed there last year. And I guess the Cambridge story is very similar to, to what you would have heard from Morecambe in the sense that we weren't tipped to be anywhere near the League Two promotion pitcher, let alone automatic uh, promotion. Um, absolute mad season. We we started it, obviously, like everyone else, not knowing what was going to happen with COVID and what the impact would be in terms of budget, not having crowds. We gave a young man um, who had never played professional football uh, his first managerial job uh, literally just a day or two before the season stopped um, for, for COVID. I'm talking about Mark Bonner, who's still in charge. Um, and yeah, over, so, you know, we went into the season with this inexperienced coach thinking, God, that's probably just going to be another season of the same of being sort of in that bottom seven or eight clubs in League Two. He, he signed a handful of players, um, you know, te- like, you know, players that weren't getting into other League Two teams or had been in teams that had just been relegated from League Two or we signed this lad called Paul Mullen who Tranmere didn't want, even though they had been relegated into the same league as us. And we signed this 38-year-old called Wes Houlihan and went into the season thinking, well, this is going to be a bit of a car crash really, isn't it? It's just going to be much of the same and and we'll have to accept it because the budget's going to be so much smaller and, and really we'll probably be looking to just sort of hold on to hold on to dear life and until we can get fans back in the ground but what then happened and what transpired after that was just unbelievable we were at points last season just terrific and you know it wasn't one of those promotions that we sort of snuck up last minute we were in and around the top seven clubs pretty much the whole season I think we're only outside the playoffs a couple of weeks and yeah um it was an absolute terrific season and we had you know, Mr. Houlihan pulling the strings in, in number 10 position. We had a lad up top who I think has got 34 across all competitions, smashed club goal scoring records that have stood for for, for years and, and years. And um, we nearly fluffed our lines at the very end. Um, we needed just one point from the last three games and we went and lost two of them. But yeah, we, we got across the line and yeah, somehow found ourselves in, in League One. And uh, fingers crossed we can stay here. So your average crew fan won't have seen Cambridge for a couple of years now. Um, Cambridge were one of the games that we lost uh, in the COVID season when crew were promoted. Um, you've mentioned Wes Houlihan. You've mentioned Paul Mullin. Paul Mullin is not there. Um, you know, I think we're all aware where he's gone. Um, <laughs> who would you say are your threats? Who are your key players? Who should crew fans look out for on Saturday? So normally I would be telling everyone Wes Houlihan, who despite being 39 years of age is still terrific. Like his technical ability is, is, is the best I've ever seen play for Cambridge United. And, uh, but the thing is, he's not played the last two games. He's got a chest and a knee injury and the club haven't confirmed how long he's out for. So could very well not play uh, when we visit you guys. Um, So with no Wes, I would probably say, keep an eye out for uh, Joe Ironside, who, was kind of last season's unsung hero. You know, he was part of his front three with Houlihan and Mullin. Mullin got all the goals. Houlihan was pulling the strings. But, but Big Joe is just a, a real workhorse of a striker. And he 
you know, he took the hits and he occupied players to free up space for Mullin. And I swear, Mullin wouldn't have got anywhere near 34 goals without those two lads. So we've changed our formation. We we tend to play 4-5-1, especially away from home. So I think we'll do that when we visit on Saturday. So Joe will be up top on his own. Um, but it will all be about how quickly we can get support up to him. And we've got a lad on, on the left-hand side called James Brophy, who is very, very quick um, and carries the ball well. And then we've got a lad, a young lad called Shiloh Tracy on the right-hand side, who again is very quick um, and is our joint, uh, sorry, is our second top goal scorer. He's really started to, to find his feet and, and his confidence. So I think those two will be the, the key threats for those two supporting uh, Joe Ironside will be the key threats for us. Uh, elsewhere, in terms of key players, um, Dimi Mitoff in goal is, is really proving himself at this level. And, uh, and, and we've got um, a guy called Paul Digby, who's our sort of, defensive linchpin in the in midfield so if he's playing because he's he's already on four yellow cards so we've got Gillingham on Tuesday which I'm sure will be uh, a, a game full of yellows uh, if he survives through uh, to Saturday he'll be you know one of our one of our key players I guess he's a key player in the sense that if he's not there we're going to be lacking that bit of steel in the in in midfield and, and you know one to keep an eye on on the on the team sheets when they come out on the Saturday Jordan, I've noticed um, with the stats and things like that, that Cambridge seems to be quite comfortable without the ball. Is it counter-attacking football? Is that the, the style? Yeah, pretty much. Um, our, you know, we've had a really decent start to the season so far, um, better than, than what we were probably anticipating. And I think our greatest strength so far has been how good we've been out of possession um, with one games with really low possession stats, like 30, 35%. And yeah, we just seem very comfortable sort of surrendering possession to other teams and saying, right, come and break us down. And, and we're very organized. And perhaps it's not the nicest football for say visiting fans to, to watch, but it's effective. And, and yeah, like you say, it's then being, um, you know, being quite sort of uh, good on the counter. We're not, we don't score a lot of goals um, and, and it's just not going to be our, our thing this season, which I think we kind of, we understand why. So I don't think we'll ever be in a high scoring game. Uh, well, not not on our side. Uh, Lincoln obviously put five passes the other week, but yeah, it's about sort of how quickly we can break and how quickly we can get people up to uh, support Joe inside up top. So yeah, that, 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 that will be definitely our plan when we visit you guys, because we'll be the away team. It's, it's a little bit, different at home and we've got to find that formula where we play teams that are not are not as good in possession so we played Fleetwood on Saturday and they obviously weren't going to be a team who were you know going to want to keep hold of the ball for, for long periods of time whereas when we played people like Portsmouth and Bolton and Oxford we've been able to get results because you know they've kind of sort of played into that style that we wanted them to. So when we're speaking uh, Sunday after the game, uh, I think Cambridge are currently 12th. Um, what's the thought process amongst Cambridge fans for this season? Uh, is it pushing on from there? Is it staying there? Is it just about staying up? What, what would be a good season? It's, it's staying up, um, staying up and, and consolidating. You know, And if we do that on the last day, via goal difference because of a deflected goal in the 95th minute will absolutely snap your hand off for that. Um, we kind of, well, like, there's no kind of about it. We weren't expected to be in League One. 
uh, this time last year and yet here we are so perhaps we've punched above our weight last season and 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 now we've got to sort of you know kind of prove prove that we, we are a league one club um the start has been better than anyone's expected um you know i don't know if you read or listened to any sort of uh, podcasts or articles pre-season but everyone not only had Cambridge in the bottom four but had us you know bottom of the pack and you know looked at things like um, Mullen leaving as, as the main reason for that I think I think Cambridge fans were a little bit more optimistic um, and, and really because of how we were last year and because of Mark Bonner in charge and, and how efficient and how good he's been so far we had hope that he could you know maybe keep us competitive and yeah, the, the big hope was that we weren't in a position where, you know, like we're relegated by Christmas and that we were still competitive and that, you know, we expected to be in the bottom six, seven, eight teams in the division, but just not cut adrift. So, so far we've, you know, got a really decent points return and, you know, even when we've not won games, we've looked like we can, you know, keep up, you know, keep our heads above above the line and, and be competitive against good teams in this division. So I think, yeah, I think Cambridge fans and hopes for the season are, are just to stay up. And if, if we finish fifth bottom, so be it. But uh, as long as we can stay up, because this isn't a, a league we've been in for such a long time. And, you know, staying, if we can, you know, we can consolidate and stay here a couple of seasons, maybe attract some more sort of investment into the club and, and some better players, we can maybe then push on a bit. But yeah, for this season, just stay up by, by any means, really. Excellent. Jordan, I've got one more question before I let you go. Uh, can I get a prediction for the game on Saturday, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're not, you know, Cambridge, we're not big scorers. So I don't think there'll be a lot of goals in the game. Um, I think we will go to sort of, you know, try and contain crew as best we can. And I, I think it might be... Maybe not the best one to watch, but I'm going to go with a, a draw, maybe 1-1. One, one. Okay, Jordan, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. Right, let's finish then with our competition. Some good guesses this last week with Russ and Mark improving their season average. Russ staying in second place, Mark moving above Alex into third place. Steve Dale, he stayed in sick, but his average did creep up a little bit. Um, so obviously it's the first time for all three of you today. If you want to go top after this week, you need to bet a Neil, who averages only four minutes out every, uh, every goal with his prediction so far. And to avoid being bottom, you have to bet a Andy, who averages 54 minutes out. So those are the sort of benchmarks for you guys. Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Plymouth, when will the first goal be scored on Tuesday night? Um, I starters, Neil's never coming on again, is he? He's no, he's, he's conveniently busy now for the rest of the, the season. Yeah, thought, thought he might be. Um, uh, I think oh, God, it's so hard because some games we seem to concede or score very early, and then um, I'll go with 25. Excellent, Max. Yeah, I think, like we've all mentioned before, it's going to be a struggle. I reckon we'll be going behind early there, and I'm going to say 12 minutes. Well, and then Gary. I think uh, we're going to boost false optimism and concede in 55 minutes. Okay. Similar to, similar to the game on Saturday then. Um, Gary, I'm going to come back straight to you for the home game, Cambridge, Saturday. When will the first goal be scored then? I've got 10 minutes for that. 10. Max? 
If you go to the reverse of that, I'll go 60 minutes. Okay. And then Aaron. I'm thinking somewhat similar to Max, actually. I'm going to go 65, just to not be exactly the same. Lovely. So I think that will probably do us for this week. Aaron, thank you for coming back on. Thanks for having me back on. Gary, thank you for making your debut. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Same to you, Max. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. Uh, Yeah, I hope you're both uh, happy to come back on again in the future. Thank you, as ever, for listening. We will be back next Monday. So until then, goodbye. Dang it, dang, dang, ding it, dong, ding, blue moon.